And welcome to Detention, where love is in the air. Yes, sir. Valentine's Day is tomorrow. Yeah, so if any of you who are listening who has not gotten your significant other or partner uh, anything, you probably should get the fuck to it. I didn't. But. But. I did ask her if she wanted to exchange things this year, and she said no. I said, okay. She actually said no. She said no, which now, I'm okay with. did Admiral Akbar burst in through your closet door and say, it's a trap? Because <laughs> that sure sounds like it's a trap. No, but... She didn't get anything. She told me no. So, um, but hey, fun fact: Did you know that actually, in addition to humans celebrating Valentine's Day, that pigs also do? But it's actually called Valentine's Day. Oh, Valentine's <laughs> Day. I mean, if you want to take it a step further, I mean, humans are pig-like. They're the closest things to uh, oh. humans. And I was yeah. waiting for a punchline. So there. no, no. I mean, the punchline is that we are uh, fat pigs that roll around <laughs> in shit. <laughs> That's the punchline. <laughs> But, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I have heard, though, that actually if humans died off, that pigs would end up running the world because they're super intelligent and they just eat everything. You don't think it would be like chimpanzees from, like, the monkey? Like, the monkey. They are also intelligent creatures, but I think, well, I don't know. I heard science said that, so I'm just going to heard science science say that. All right. Well, not science. Sports. Yes. Uh, We'll start with that topic again this week, as we always do. Starting with football, A.J. Green is officially retiring. So after 12 seasons in the NFL, wide receiver A.J. Green is officially retiring with an Instagram post. Spent 10 years in Cincinnati and then two years, his last two years in Arizona. He will retire with, and this is kind of, I shouldn't say an impressive stat, but he'll have 727 receptions. 10,514 yards and 70 receiving touchdowns. It's pretty solid for, you know, 12 years. And for like the first, I think, five years, he averaged over 1,000 yards per season. It's just obviously you get older and injuries plague you, so you don't get as much done. Uh, He is one of only four players selected to every Pro Bowl between 2011 when he was drafted to 2017 and only one of 12 to earn such an honor in the Super Bowl era. So pretty elite company that he's in. I'm assuming along with like Jerry Rice and um, uh, Moss. Why am I forgetting his first name? Randy. Randy Moss. Yeah. Super Bowl was yesterday. Yes, it was. How was the Super Bowl party I didn't go to? It was good. Was it? Yeah. Did you say to the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Food was good. The... Uh, Chiefs officially beat the Eagles 38 to 34 in Super Bowl 57. Mahomes was 21 for 27 for 182 yards and three touchdowns. He also had six carries and 44 yards rushing. Jalen Hurts had a very phenomenal day. He was 27 for 38 for 302 yards in a passing touchdown and then had 15 carries for 70 yards and three rushing touchdowns, which they said in the broadcast matched uh, some other quarterbacks rushing record for touchdowns in a game. So pretty elite company there too. I just now realized there was not a pick thrown. No pick, but there was a turnover. Jalen Hurts did have a fumble that was recovered for a touchdown, touchdown, which I think ultimately was the biggest decision maker in, in the game. We can get into what you think is going to be the biggest swing or bullshit or whatever you want to call it. So your thoughts on 
the controversial pass interference call on Kansas City's last drive, getting them another first down. From from what I've heard is that from other people that the holding call was for the defensive holding call didn't happen, but they missed another one, so it pretty much got what they should have. Okay. Right but call, wrong person. Pretty much. Um because there was a holding call on the Eagles for Juju Smith Schuster trying to go out. In the motions, like even in slow motion, the motion of the hold looked correct. But if you look at like how it affected the receiver or if there was any shirt being pulled, no. To me, it was not a holding call on that person. It just it looked like it could be, it, like the motions worked, but it didn't affect the receiver in any way, and I thought it was a crap call. The, I mean, Bradbury is the cornerback that was called for the holding penalty there. He admitted in his interview in the locker room after the game that he did do it. I don't know if he's just doing that because he wants to tell himself that's the reason why we lost. We lost was because of that. It's fine, whatever, which is a very mature move on his part, which, I mean, he's a grown-ass adult. He should be mature anyway. You would think. But I don't think that's as big of a swing in the game, mainly because if they did not get that first down, they still were in field goal range. But Bucker did miss one already. He did miss one already, but it wouldn't suggest that he would miss another one. Yeah. So in my mind, yeah, they just kick a field goal. They go up 38-35. The Eagles now have time on the clock to try to score again. Yeah. But that doesn't ultimately th- make them going to win. Right. So... I can understand why people are upset with the call, but I can look at it and be like, well, that probably could have been the end of the game anyway. Who right, knows? and there was plenty of other opportunities that the Eagles could have capitalized on that they didn't. So I don't think that made the entire game, but that definitely pretty much sealed it. Yeah. So, so Patrick Mahomes now has two Super Bowl wins, two Super Bowl MVPs, and then two regular season MVPs. And he's been in the league for five years. So starting off very much like a Brady-esque style. And very much like Brady, he's been given a very, very good team. So he's been giving all the weapons to succeed. And he's naturally talented. So like he's definitely taking the opportunity of it. Like for an example, if Aaron Rodgers had all that opportunity, like if Green Bay did what Kansas City's doing for Mahomes, mm-hmm. Rodgers would be in the same boat. But that's just not how Green Bay did it. I also want to give more credit to Andy Reid. I know he gets. Oh a, yeah. I know he gets a lot of credit as is because rightfully so he does. But just the schemes that he runs of having so many multiple options for Mahomes to use on any given play that if one breaks down, he knows he has another two they could potentially go to. That. I don't know how anyone could ever look at football the same way after he is coached. After he retires, offenses are going to look so shitty, I think, because he is just a fucking guru. Yeah. Basketball. Yes. So let's just jump to the trade deadline because I'll get back to that predictions. I forgot to pull it up. Uh, trade deadline happened for the NBA. And there was, was February a, 9th, right? Yeah. Okay. There was a lot of movement. It was crazy nuts. Um, I, I re-looked over all of them earlier today, and there's not really a lot of noteworthy ones that I think are going to make a huge bit of difference, um, except for two, and you have one written down. So the okay. other one is that there was a three-team trade between the Jazz, the Minnesota Timberwolves, 
and the Los Angeles Lakers. So D'Angelo Russell from Minnesota, uh, Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley from Utah are all going to Los Angeles Lakers. Russell Westbrook in a 2027 first round pick from the Lakers go to Utah. And then Mike Conley and some other picks from Utah go to Minnesota. That one, I think, is the one that is the most important out of all the other ones that uh, we could talk about, save the one we're about to talk about. Do you think LeBron signed off on that? As if, like, the front office ever had any communication with... They, like, they don't owe him anything. Right. Probably, do you think they ever asked him, like, hey, probably. the guy that you wanted, we're getting rid of? Yeah, probably. And here's the thing that really blows my mind. D'Angelo Russell, if you remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about, like, what the Lakers gave up, was on that list. He was drafted second overall in 2015 by the Los Angeles Lakers. And yeah, he was traded back. away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, imagine what would have happened if you would have just fucking kept him. But to be fair, he didn't really grow on his own until he was in Brooklyn. Then he went to Minnesota, and now he's back in L.A. Okay. Do you want to get into the next one? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Well, I don't have any notes on it. I just put it up there because I wanted you to kind of talk about it. I mean, we don't have to get into anything specific, but the biggest one that I saw was Katie going to Phoenix. Yes. So the blow up of the super team of uh, the Brooklyn Nets is now pretty much official, save uh, Ben Simmons, but I would not even consider him in that talk. The fact that they had Ben Simmons, James Harden, uh, Kyrie. Blake Griffin, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant all on one team, and you couldn't do anything? That's fucking pathetic. And to be fair, though, it is not on the Nets as an organization. Apparently, from what Harden says and what Kyrie says and what KD says, there's a lot of dysfunction, there's a lot of disorganization, and I think part of that comes from having Steve Nash be your, co- uh, be your coach when he's never coached before, so he has a lot of inexperience there. I don't know how the front office works their things. But at the same time, I can't really trust the word of a bunch of prima donnas. True. All three of those that you listed are extreme prima donnas. Yeah, the only one who's really not is KD. Like, KD is irritated, and he has a lot of opinions, but KD has always been, I just want to play basketball. On a team that already is loaded and I can win a championship with. That's, (laughs) yes. He just, he, (laughs) he loves the game of basketball, and he doesn't, he doesn't like the noise. He doesn't like the publicity. He he just wants to play the game. Yeah. And I think when outside noise like that really affects the game is when he gets irritated, which I think is why he wants to go to Phoenix because Phoenix does have their own problems, but he's with Chris Paul, who he knows pretty well. He is with a, an experienced team. He has Monty Williams, who's a really good coach. So I think that's going to be a good fit for him. It's just... Also happens to be on a team that it's pretty well structured and that he can easily win another championship with. But here's the thing with Phoenix is that they haven't really been doing great this year comparatively. Comparatively, no. I mean the last two or three seasons they were much pretty much in the top of the West yeah. division with very little competition. And so I think this will really put them up once he's healthy. Yeah. I saw a stat that blew my mind that in the entire time that James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Katie were all together in Brooklyn. They played a total of 16 games together. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Which is crazy. Again, you build a franchise around these people that you want to play and win you a championship, and they definitely have the capability to do so. And they don't play together. And they just don't. And it's just like, that's funny, because fuck you. Right. But also, like... Which is why I thought it was hilarious that 
um, Josai did not give Kyrie what he wanted to go to L.A. Yeah. Love it. Uh, the basketball prediction thing. So I, I knew that I had gone through after free agency and the draft and picked from the, the death chart where everyone was going to land at the end of the year. Yes. So I went back and listened to that episode and uh, picked out what I had guessed. And I think it was like on the 8th when I did this. Um, so the standings aren't completely accurate right now. But I went through and I said, here's what I guessed. Here's where they are now. So we still have time until the end of the year to like change things. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some big misses and here are some. So the uh, I had the Grizzlies as number one. Well, the Nuggets right now or at that time were number one. And that was seven more than I had given them at the end of the year. I put them at eighth. So they're doing a lot better. The biggest one, though, in the West is the Kings. Kings at that time were third in the West. I had given them 11th, so that was a net eight for them. Uh, The one that I did not give enough credit to looks to be the, or I gave too much credit to, was the Warriors. I put them at third, and they they were currently at seventh when I typed this up. So there's a lot of movement. Very few teams in the West was I wanted two away, it looks like. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So, okay, about half. I was one or two away. Uh, but yeah, currently, you got the nuts and uh, nuts, the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Clippers, and Suns at the top five from the eighth. And my guess was the Grizzlies, Clippers, Warriors, Suns, and Mavs. So, not too bad. Um, in the East, the biggest differences between my guess and now is uh, the Kings. They're plus six from what I guess. I had them at 13th. They were seventh when I did this. Uh, another big one is the Pacers. They're 10th currently, and I had them at 14, so that's not too bad. Uh, biggest losers, I guess, is the Bulls. They were ninth when I did this, and I had them at four. And then the Hornets, I had them rounding out the play-in at 10, and they are dog shit at 14, so... Yeah. I mean, we could next week go into what my NFL predictions were. And I'm just quickly looking at them now, and I was pretty far off on a lot. <laughs> so don't feel like you're too out of the woods there with like, oh, man, I really fucked up. I mean, some of these I did pretty good with, but again, some of these I really fucked up with. I will say, though, I, I am priding myself in the top five um, for – the West because three of the five, I was one or two away. And in the East, my top two are just flip flopped. Mm-hmm. So I had a bucks at Celtics at that time. It was Celtics bucks, but then I had a plus three, a plus one and a plus three. So not exactly right there, but you know, it's not looking too bad. So I'm going to keep this spreadsheet. And then when it comes to playoffs, see how you did. Yeah. We'll see how we did. Iowa sports news to wrap up the sports section. There was a uh, release that Iowa will be playing Northwestern November 4th, but at Wrigley Field. Yes. Which sounds very exciting. It sounds very expensive. Oh, yeah, it is. It's, I mean, Wrigleyville there is uh, not cheap. Uh, Chicago in general is not cheap. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it would be really fun to go to this game. 
I think it would be a good atmosphere. I was talking to you last week about how I've seen games on TV played in ballparks like that and how it's just cockeyed a little bit and makes it look strange. I bet you'd be even stranger in person. Yeah. But then again, you're just out there to watch a fucking game. Yeah. But it's November. It'd be cold. It's going to be fucking cold probably. So I, if anyone is going to go... All the luck to you. I don't think I have the budget for it right now. We'll, we'll see what the tickets are like, and we'll figure that out. Once they get released, yeah. And then last little bit of Iowa news is that Nick Jackson, the Virginia linebacker, transferred to Iowa. So he is uh, he chose Iowa over the likes of Oklahoma and LSU. I heard also Auburn offered him, and he chose to come to Iowa instead. Uh, he took his official visit the weekend of January 27th and through the 29th and chose Iowa for his landing spot. He had spent the last four seasons with Virginia and is a multi, multi-time all-ACC selection, transferring with one year of eligibility, and he has a career of 352 tackles, 20 tackles for loss, and 10 and a half sacks in his career at Virginia. So for a linebacking core at Iowa, we have Seth Benson, who is graduating. I don't think he's coming back for another year like he was. I, people had thought he would. Jack Campbell, rightfully so, going into the draft because his stock is the highest it'll probably be. And losing Justin Jacobs to Oregon, the whole linebacking core is basically some not gutted because obviously the backups who would come in for Benson and Campbell are still very talented. And the guy who filled in for uh, Jacobs all season. Yes. Yeah. They're all super talented and deserve respect in their own right, but this just at least shores up the middle a little bit, I think, just because you have a very seasoned, very uh, productive linebacker that's coming in ready to go and could – potentially step right in for Campbell. And he's a vet who knows what he's talking about. So yes, he can four and, years. Yeah. And he can bring something new to a program too. So you never know. And he was a former captain. Yeah. So that's also just positive news on that front. We're finally getting to it. Yes. Dangerous precedents. I don't want to spend a too terrible amount of time, but I do want to get into a, a decent discussion. So we'll just jump in the, let's do NFL first. Cause it's shorter. Um, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think dangerous precedents that are being set by the NBA, not the NBA, the NFL, uh, the two that I have is roughing the passer and unnecessary roughness penalties. Uh, we can even throw taunting there if we wanted to. Um, but the idea that roughing the passer, you can just like put a fucking pinky on the quarterback and they're going to throw a flag to me at the right time. It's fucking ridiculous. It's, a, it's at a certain point. Yeah, but, but you look at some of the calls, it is so inconsistent. It is very inconsistent. I'll give you that. I mean, you can watch uh, five games on a Sunday, and each one of them have a roughing the passer penalty, and only one of them may make sense. Yeah, and I think my issue with this, and this is the thing that I bring up every time I talk about this, is that you are playing football, okay? It is a rough, it's a rough game. Why are you treating one position any differently than any other position. We see wide receivers and tight ends and running backs just get fucking walloped. Look at the game last night. When I was just going to say. Pacheco they're... got just decked. Mm-hmm. That would have been Patrick Mahomes. Oh, no, boy. It, especially if he was in the pocket. They would have called roughing the passer any day. Yeah. Or but, even if he was, you know, the actual runner going out yeah. and got hit like that on the sideline. 
they probably would have said, oh, he was going out of bounds. Right. And then, yeah, get to flag so on that. So why are we choosing to baby one player over everybody else? I understand the importance of a quarterback. I do. But that's also the risk you run of playing a game like this. You should not baby one player over everybody else. I, I think it sets a really bad precedent because then what's the defense supposed to do? Because I mean, you could even go back to the the pit quarterback a couple of years ago who fake slid and everyone oh, pulled up. Can you pick it? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Pat Narduzzi, his coach, was like, well, we always tell our guys to go to the whistle. But yeah, then what's going to happen is those guys are going to deck the quarterback when he's going down. There's another fucking penalty. What do you do? You, yeah. you can't win for losing. That was a, a, a different kind of scenario. I, I Panny Pickett running and then faking like he was going to go down to make the defender stop, and then he just continues full bore running. Right, but my, it, my point with this yeah. is, though, is like if you continue, you play through. Yeah. If you're charging the quarterback and then he throws the ball and then, then you just hit him because all of your momentum is going forward, you're going to get docked with a roughing the passer penalty. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. There's some fairness to that. Um but you also don't want to get into a situation like Tua Tungavailoa was, where he is getting thrown into the ground and fucked up his head. Like, he had so many unnecessary concussions this past season that he finally was just cleared off as his last concussion a few weeks ago. Yeah. Which, again, different circumstances. He's getting tackled. It's not roughing the passer by any means. He was thrown to the ground, and his head hit the ground really, really hard. Yeah. And then the coaching staff decided to keep him in, which then resulted in another brain injury. Right. So not 100% on the fault of the defenders on that or on the fault of the refs. It's mainly on the organization for keeping him in. But you do want to prevent that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, With unnecessary roughness, too, it's like I think especially with the high ankle sprains that you've been seeing with Tony Pollard and um, Patrick Mahomes is that – from what I've heard is that they're going to be looking more into this and seeing if they should outlaw those. It's like, at this point, you might as well make the NFL flag football. Like, it people break bones, unfortunately. People get hurt, unfortunately. That is, that is literally the nature of the game. And I understand them doing a lot of work over the past few years to make sure that concussions aren't a huge part of the game anymore. And, and I admire that. But... Are you going to do the same thing for the rest of the body? Because then at that point, you just need to not play tackle football. Honestly, think about it. That's that's pretty much the trajectory of what this is. We want guys to not get hurt as much. Don't hit each other. Yeah. Pretty simple explanation. Because you can have a lot of non-contact injuries anyway. You're going to try to minimize all of them? Like, it just, it's not going to work. For a sport of high contact like that for football, it won't. But, yeah, I don't know. There, I don't know if there's a fine line to ride on this or not because if you start leaning one way to another, then it's really going to fuck things up. Uh, but we also don't get paid for that. Yeah. So I don't know what the right answer would be. I would just hope that if you are a player, you have the wherewithal to know that my actions in this instance – could potentially really severely harm this other player that I'm trying to tackle. If I were in their shoes, would I want them to do what I'm doing to them now? Probably not. Right. Maybe ease up a little bit on the hits. Yeah. I mean, have some restraint of like, I do not need to knock this guy into his own sideline bench because he's 
got momentum going outward and I'm coming at him from an angle. You, right. You don't need to do that. Now, if he's putting his shoulder out to you, yeah, lay him out because he's he's bracing for it. But, yeah. I want to jump into the NBA because we're running a little bit longer. Um, all these things are things we've talked about before pretty much, but there's a couple that I actually do want to get into pretty heavily. Um, player control, we've talked about that before. I think the NBA is getting a little too out of hand when they're letting their players can pretty much, it seems like dictate whatever they get to do. And I think that's not the way you should be running it. I have absolutely no problem with players having a little bit more power on themselves and saying, I deserve this and you should give me this. And that's why you have an agent to, you know, have that contract debate with them. But you also should not be sitting out in games to get what you want and pretty much pout like a child Yeah, to get that. I think that's a really bad precedent to send because then you're going to have all these younger kids who think that once they get to a certain level, they can do that as well. And that's bullshit. Um, I don't know if you have, if you have anything to say between this, just pop in. Um, fan altercations. We've kind of talked about, I brought up Jaws friend from last week. Um, I think especially with Shane, Shannon Sharp, it's it. Um, I, just side tangent, I saw this thing that was John Morant had said that if you look at social media, they're making the Grizzlies out to be the like the mean team of the NBA. It's like, what the fuck do you expect? You guys walk around like acting like you're hard and shit and being dirty players and hit people and nuts and talking mad shit. And yeah. You, and you have posses that are, you know, engaging in arguments with fans who just yell from the court of like you suck because you missed that basket. And then they come over and be like, what'd you say? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So no shit. I, I saw something that said like, oh, we do a lot of bad things over the past few weeks. And then they wonder why, like we're bad. Another one kind of dug at his dad, which I get, but I also don't get, they said that team Morant needs to put down the crown and Coke and stop acting like fake usher and get into a son's ear. Oh, I thought that was funny. And maybe he should start telling Ja, like, just do your thing. Like, just play the game. Just play ball. Just play the fucking game. Right. Whatever. But fan altercations, I think, have gotten really out of hand. It seems to be that more politicized, not politicized, but more uh, viewable to the public than I've ever been able to witness I think in the it past. really started, like, going way downhill when Kyrie got a bottle thrown at him when he was in Boston. No. And ever since then, it's gotten real bad. I do think there are times, and I don't know what some people say that, some of the players maybe just are too pansy about it. Like apparently I remember LeBron kicking to a couple out because they said something again. I don't know what was said, but I'm like, dude, come on, just play the fucking game. Mm -hmm. And again, it could have been like super bad, but at the same time, stick stones, uh, it's really hitting a miss. Like if they're saying like your wife's a whore and you should fucking die. Yeah. Okay. Probably not cool. And you probably shouldn't be sitting there, but who's, who's to say that somebody 50 rows up isn't saying the same thing, right? It's just at their court side. Yes. Um, we've talked about load management, so I'm not going to touch on this too much, but I hate the idea of this. Um, I hate the precedent it's setting because it's just showing kids like it's, this sounds so bad, but like that you just need to sit in that you could just like, 
heal up whenever. I, I know that sounds so weird. Ride the bench as long as you need until you're healthy. Right. But, but who determines that? Exactly. Yeah. The the whole and you really only see it in the NBA. You don't see it in college. You don't see it at high school level. It's only in the NBA that you see load management. You don't see it in any other sport either. You don't see it in football. Kind of. The only time you really do is to make sure that they're not dead like Tua. You don't see it in hockey. You don't see it in soccer. Basketball is the only playing is the only league that you see load management. You don't even see it in baseball. Uh, baseball, maybe a little bit more for pitchers than anything else, just because, you know, they want to keep that shoulder as healthy as possible. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would say outside of that one instance, the NBA is probably the only one. Yeah. Yeah. And so that one's up. And then the last one I want to touch on, this is where I really kind of want your opinion is the tantrums that are being thrown by players. Yes. Okay. That is a really bad precedent to be set. And I think that kind of goes into fights that we've been seeing. Not only LeBron's tantrum that he threw when he got a call, because when we've seen that for years of like just them bitching and moaning about every fucking call that happens. Mm -hmm. But then now fights are happening. I even just got a notification about uh, a college fight that broke out. It's like this is translating to other things. You guys need to be aware. As much as you don't want to be role models, in America, sports are so heavy and are determining a lot of kids' future because they want to do this, you cannot act this way. You might not, like Michael Jordan, he should not be a role model to a lot of people. Maybe a basketball role model, for sure. But as a person, he didn't want to be a role model, and he probably shouldn't be. But as long as you can separate those two, but as a basketball like role model, you should not be throwing tantrums and throwing punches. I just... It's pretty childish. Yeah, it, it just sets it sets such a bad precedent for all these younger generations because, yes, maybe they're not thinking, oh, well, LeBron threw a punch, so I can throw a punch. I don't think that's their mindset, but they're probably seeing this, and they're just like, because it's so an emotional game, they're just like, yep, let's just go. And, and I don't think it's like they're saying, because this, this. They just see it, and it just starts to like underlie in their head, and then they're just like, yep, I'm going to do that. Something that, you know, we talk about officiating and how difficult of a job it can be, but maybe focus less on uh, certain aspects of the game and more towards this kind of stuff. Yeah. Just because, you know, you don't want to get the game too out of hand because if you do let these things go, then it makes the other stuff worse. Yes. So get a handle on these things before you start, you know, ticky-tacking here or there when it's not necessary in, in a way, they, it's almost like a vicious cycle. Those ticky-tacky fouls for bullshit, whatever, here or there, translates to tantrums and fights. But if you're not handling the tantrums and fights, then it leads to more ticky-tacky shit. So it's, I don't know, chicken or the egg in that instance. I don't know which is worse, but just get a handle on it. Yeah. Politics, news, we don't have too much to talk about in this, uh, mainly because we don't have only two stories. I mean, one national and then one kind of local. But we'll get into it with Biden's State of the Union address that he gave last Tuesday. I uh, just want to hit on a few things. Uh, most everything went as normal, except there were two segments of his speech that were kind of like back-to-back that were a little, not controversial, but caused a lot of... Uproar. Uproar, yeah, uh, just within the chamber. So 
The first one being national debt. Biden talks about how his administration lowered the national debt by $1.7 trillion, which is the largest single reduction in one year by any president in history, mainly because the national debt hadn't been that much of an issue up until, I guess, after... Well, I mean, Clinton balanced everything. And the got, last time we had a surplus was Clinton. Yeah. And so, but it, he ended in a there pretty still, sure in a debt. There was still a national debt, but I, I want to say probably Carter or somewhere around in there was probably, I mean, the Vietnam years probably drained the national budget so much that there was probably a huge debt from that, but nothing that was too big because it was the Vietnam War. But he mentions that during Trump's administration, the national debt rose each year, which, if you were to look at it, it's true. And he attributes that 25% of the entire national debt was added during Trump's administration. So a quarter of it. That's a lot. That is a lot. I haven't fact-checked that, but if you want to, go ahead and look it up and see if that's actually true and either let us know or we'll look at it after we're done recording here. But that is a lot to say. 25% of the entire national debt is coming from the last four years, which with his tax plan not taxing people as high and then you still spending a shit ton of stuff, I could see how the national debt probably rose that much. Um, Which that statement led to a loud round of boos from the Republican audience, which then immediately goes into... The next segment of his speech where he starts talking about Social Security. So the House and Senate Republicans have issued a plan that they feel will help reduce the national debt, but also not increase taxes on the rich. That's what Biden's trying to get at in his speech. And he says that there's a proposed bill that seeks to eliminate or sunset Social Security and Medicaid, meaning that once their renewal dates come due, Congress will not renew them. So it's not ending them like we're stopping it now. It's just, well, they're due in five years. As law, we have to update it to keep it going and keep it funded. But when that time comes, we're just not going to do it, is what some House Republicans are thinking about doing. So that's what he said. That statement was met with even louder boos from the Republicans, especially Marjorie Taylor Greene, who clearly can be heard during the speech yelling liar at a point where it's like, oh, that's definitely her voice yelling liar. Uh, However, there are specific Republicans who do suggest this in our in our uh, legislative branch. Rick Scott of Florida and Mike Lee of Utah both have suggested similar legislation to this notion of sunsetting it or outright just ripping it out and getting rid of it. You know what the funny thing is too, is that we were talking about this before we started recording is that he wasn't saying the Republican party. No, he was saying there are some Republicans who want to do this, which is not wrong. Yes, could you easily take it as he's saying the Republican Party wants to do this? Yes, if you don't look, if you don't look into words. Yes, that is exactly how you could read that. <laughs> if you don't listen, yeah. Yeah, but there are, like you just said, two people who have, in fact, said that themselves, that they want to do that. I mean, Rick Scott's just a crazy f- fucking guy anyway. I don't know much about Mike Lee, but after, I mean, in the speech... When Biden is saying this and there's people booing him and there are people yelling liar at him and stuff like that, the camera goes to Mike Lee 
and he's going, he has an expression on his face like, oh, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, how can we, he say that Republicans are doing this? And then there's a video of him from uh, 13 years ago when he was first running for Senate in Utah, uh, him in a small little form with a microphone talking to people to get him elected, him literally saying, I want to rip out Social Security. That being a main platform for why he wants to go to Congress. You know me, I do try to like see in see both sides, play the field, you know, give credit where credit's due. Um, that was 13 years ago. His mind could have changed. It, he he admits that his feelings on it have changed. Yeah. But the fact that you are still, I don't know, his name is still tied to legislation that wants to get this stuff done. Maybe not. See, the, that's, that's the kicker then. Maybe not in the same way of like ripping it out and completely getting rid of it, but at least having it because there's other bills that have been proposed to instead of um, having it, you know, five years or 10 years down the road, we just renew the bill and continue on with how it's been appropriated before that they make it an annual thing. I think Ron Johnson is one of the people that wants to do that, where he's like, every year we have to determine within our own budget what the funding is going to be for it, as opposed to just keeping it the same amount every year and then every every so often we renew it. He wants to have it a specific part of the budget every year. But that leads to interpretation every year how much you're going to give people for Social Security, which if you're a Republican-dominated Congress, you're going to be like, oh, well, we're going to cut that and put the money somewhere else. Yeah. So it's still not beneficial in any way. And it's still trying to get to the point of dwindling Social Security and Medicaid to its lowest point possible whenever they can. I also saw, though, um, so Rick Scott, for those who don't know, was the guy in charge of getting people elected to the Senate for Republicans. He failed miserably. And apparently Mitch McConnell went on to some interview and pretty much bashed Rick Scott after this comment, like the the Medicare comment mm-hmm. or Social Security comment, and uh, said that he was going to have a hard time getting reelected. And this was a Senate Republican yeah. saying this. So th- it's, it's starting to crumble. Like, with the the introduction of the Freedom Caucus, shit's starting to crumble in the Republican Party. You have good Republicans who mean well, and they're just getting taken hostage by this group and by these idiots, and their party is just starting to crumble beneath them. It's kind of funny to watch, but it's sad because it, it, it's, knowing that it's things... Scary. It, it's scary. I mean, it's scary. Yeah. I, I do agree with the humor to it. Like, yes, it is humorous because of how... A, just outlandish this is, but it's scary at the same time. Yeah. It's like watching a baby ride a tiger. It's cute and it can be funny. (laughs) Uh, However, (laughs) it could end really badly. I I would never have thought to make that analogy, but okay. It fits on it. It does. I like it. Uh, Last little bit here with the, uh, State of the Union address, Biden claim or calms down the crowd shortly after that uh, and says that, you know, if everyone is arguing and booing me and telling me that I'm a liar so much, okay, then we must be unanimous. I am not going to see any legislation to limit or end Social Security then, right? 
basically, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he tells Congress. And everyone cheers, and even the Republican side of the House stands up and claps. So he's like, cool, unanimous decision. I should not see anything on Social Security then. Oh, he just called them out on their bullshit. Exactly. And it was, I mean, it's great, because then he can use that as a political tool of like, why am I seeing this? I, we agreed at this on my state of the union that I'm not going to be seeing any legislation to limit this. So if he does see it, that's a great tool to use. And then against when them. the veto comes, he can also point to it and say, yeah, ah. <laughs> yeah I'm not doing this. Um, one last little thing here is that it seemed like this is one of the most contentious state of the union speeches that I've seen in recent memory, or at least I've watched a little bit here or there. Well, when you have Cruella DeVille in the audience, you know, literally Cruella DeVille. Do you see her outfit? Yes, I did. White fur coat crazy um even Mitt Romney got in on this a little bit and he got after George Santos where he made a comment after the speech when you know everyone's going around and talking to each other or whatever he made a comment uh that due to the le- legal issues and continuous fabrication of George Santos's credentials education businesses and his own life in general that he told George Santos that you should have sat in the back and shut up <laughs> And George Santos did not take that well. Well, imagine that. Well, yeah. And then as Mitt Romney leaves, he has a whole bunch of reporters in his face saying, what What did you say to him? And he's like, I told him he should have sat in the back and shut up. He, he has no right to be here. Which, I mean, Mitt Romney it, it more and more seems to be more of the level-headed, quote-unquote, traditional Republican, which obviously he still has views that we probably don't agree with on the average. But it is nice to see that even he is like, just shut the fuck up. To me, Mitt Romney is one of those guys who, yes, I might not agree with him, but I respect him because he is trying to do what is right. And I, I have said this to this day, is that when Mitt Romney ran against Barack Obama, had Barack Obama lost and it was Mitt Romney, I would not have been upset. Like, sure, again, it still would have been a Republican president that I, I don't agree with on a lot of things. But he was a guy that I would have respected enough to be the president and not had a problem with it. Even, even McCain. When Well, those two come from the same type of ilk in a way. John right. McCain very much from a completely different, like, he was known as the Maverick anyway. Right. So it's kind of like, yeah, I'm Republican, but if you do something that I don't like, I'm going to vote against it, regardless if it's my, in my party's best interest or not. Which is how it should be. Which, yeah, I mean, you look at that and you're like, oh, wow, isn't that cool? That's what they do. It's like, well, that's how it's supposed to be. Right. Which, it's sad that it's not anymore. But you, at least they're, you know, the different respect for politicians uh, has kind of kind of gone away, especially in today's eye of like, you have the R next to your name or a D next to your name and you're kind of seen as a villain of whichever side of the aisle you're on. Yeah. But like, especially with going back to McCain of like, him losing to Barack Obama and then him giving the speech of like, I am saying that he is going to be your next president. And even Republicans who had voted for him saying, why are you giving in? Like this guy's going to ruin our country and him being like, he is not going to ruin our country. I have full faith in him doing the job. Just like he would have full faith in me doing the job. We just need to work together to ensure that he is successful. Yeah. Right. That's the type of shit that needs to happen more often now. And it's sad that it's not anymore. Yeah. Local news, uh, Kimmy Reynolds uh, has been doing some devious shit that uh, is going to be affecting my job, potentially. Surprise, more. surprise. I know. But this one is seeming like, have you, you probably read 1984. Nope. You have not. I never had to. 
They didn't make you read it in high school? No. Oh, they made me read it in high school. They probably did at some point, or I was supposed to, but I never actually did. <laughs> okay, well, then some of this might not uh, catch you back to, like, George Orwellian 1984 I've authoritarian. I've heard enough about it. It's like, just don't, yeah, yeah, it's like an authoritarian, yeah. Yeah. So, Governor Kimmy Reynolds' office had filed a new House bill on Thursday that would fine school districts up to $5,000 for violating what her bill calls parental rights in education. So back to this parental rights shit. Not just for voucher schools this time, it's for other stuff. So she says that the first violation would result in a written warning to the school board. And if there was a second subsequent violation, that would include a civil penalty up to $5,000 for the school district to pay. Now, that money, this is where it gets really George Orwellian, is that any or that money that would be going to uh, the state for these penalties would go towards what they are calling a retraining program for teachers who violate the parental rights portion of this law, which in 1984, if any of you have read it, the whole point is that the state runs everything. If you rebel against the state, they will then re-educate you basically torturing you and putting you in prison until you see the light of how good the state is to you. And then you either release back into the public or spoiler alert for you, Cody, (laughs) since you haven't read it. uh, The main character who goes through this reteaching at the end is brainwashed into thinking, Oh, the state is good. And then he's executed. So I'm not saying that's going to happen because that's really, really out there. But just the reteaching of like, hey, you're a teacher. You violated this. You're going to have to go to a reteaching, which is so So what's the portion that you're this this educational liberty or freedom or whatever the fuck it is? So what they're mainly focused on books in schools. So back to book stuff. So the new definition for sexually explicit material says a book as a whole does not have literary, artistic, political, or scientific value if it contains any material appealing to sexual interests or depicts sexual acts or genitals in a sexual way. So bye-bye biology textbooks. Because <laughs> that can have a picture of a... Bre- or health textbooks have breasts or uterus, penis, testicles, all that. Gone. Not really, because it's it's not explicit, but just hyperbole. The definition is meant to chip away at books defense against being labeled, uh, obscenity. So it's like this book is obscene. We cannot have it in schools. Uh, this part of the national, this is a part of the national push to remove books, particularly those dealing with LGBT characteristics or characters and topics or topics about race from schools and classrooms, libraries, uh, by characterizing them as inappropriate for children. The newly filed bill, schools will be required to publish a list of all books available to students in the classroom and in libraries operated by school districts. The um, main reason why this is coming up is that there was a five, five members of what's called the Moms for Liberty. Have you ever heard of them? Uh, who present this last week uh, in the House meeting, talked about their different efforts to challenge books at their schools for what they deem inappropriate content and their unhappiness with the results and the process. So because they find it inappropriate, if I don't find it inappropriate as a parent, I have to, my kid can't read it. Yes. Which, I mean, to be fair, 
I could show them my kids this. Yes. Who, and this is my, this is the question. Who dictates what is too obscene for a child? Well, exactly. And also parental rights. Okay. Me and my girlfriend were talking about this before recording because I told her I was going to talk about this. And just the point of like parental rights. Well, you could have some backwoods, inbred, small fucking Iowa town who has no person of color, no person of either, either identifying different gender or is LGBTQ or whatever, nothing. But they see, oh, you know what? This is bullshit. I do not want this book in our library. So we're going to make it an issue for the rest of the state, which makes no sense. Right. Because obviously larger cities are going to have people who fall into those categories. We live in Waterloo, which is a pretty diverse city. Diverse for Iowa. Right. I work with somebody who has told me a story about how she moved here from Louisiana and she was working at a store and this little girl was looking at her, just super shocked. And it was because she had never seen a black person before. Yeah. Imagine growing up your whole life and never seeing anyone who didn't look like you. These are the people who are controlling what we read. Yes. That is not okay. Uh, this bill uh, goes further into saying, like, if a, if one district in the entire state bans a particular book, all districts have to ban that book. That makes no fucking sense. Right? It's parroting to the smallest, minute portion of the population and giving them all the power for God knows what fucking reason. They could just not show it in that district. Exactly. It could be a district by district thing. That should be the freedom. If if you want that freedom, yes, make it district by district. If that is something you truly fucking desire to screw over people who are of those categories, yes, cool, go with that. But you can't say that Des Moines, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Waterloo, Sioux City, Davenport, Davenport Dubuque... Dubuque the larger cities have to abide by that. No. That's Especially fun. those are the ones who are the most diverse. Who That's the who would reach it. Yes. Oh, my God. So last <laughs> little bit here, and it gets into some more crazy territory. The bill would also go further into forcing schools to out trans kids to their parents. I saw that. There, I saw an article about uh, Lindmar. So it requires school districts to notify parents if any employees of the school district reasonably believes that the minor child has expressed a gender identity that is different than the biological sex listed on the minor child's official birth certificate. If a school doesn't do that, or if teachers use a nickname or a pronoun that doesn't match a student's birth certificate without a parent's permission, the district would be subject to a warning and then a $5,000 fine for the second offense as well. Oh my God, that's putting so much on teachers. Which is like, I also brought this up to my girlfriend. How do you police that? Yeah. How can you ensure that unless the kid goes home and accidentally slips up that, oh, I was called this today. And then the parents have a cow about it. Or even for an instance, like how many times have you had students that you graduated with or that you knew in high school that had a nickname? Not their actual name. Oh, yeah. But they just went by a different nickname because that's what teachers and all the students called he or she or them. Yeah. And this, you cannot do that, apparently, because if that's not what's given as their birth certificate name, then that student is also subject to, or that teacher or that district is subject to having a fine put on them, which we know that is not the reason why they're doing this. It's not for some cis hetero student who goes by 
skeezer instead of fucking John or Joe right? instead of Joseph. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just bullshit. Um, the bill also prohibits instruction about gender identity and sexual acts in grades, kindergarten through grade three. But what's interesting about this article, and I read this after I read that statement, I'm like, who the fuck's doing that? The article goes on to say, though there is no school teaching children how to have sex. So why is this a concern? Kindergartners up to age three. Even even when you're in middle school, they don't teach you how. They just teach you the safe way to do it. Here are the things you need. Put This is how you put it on. We're not teaching you like where to put anything or whatever, but like... Oh my, oh my God. Yeah. They're not showing porn. They're not showing <laughs> porn. And it's also just like what kindergartner is being sat down and being like, hey, we didn't learn about the human body until I was in fifth grade. And that was about our own body. And then it wasn't until sixth grade where we learned about the other one's body. I think that's probably roughly around mine too. It, it just is more fear mongering. That makes no sense. It's akin to the bill that's been going through in Florida where it's yep. like, Yep. If you have any books that don't we say deem, gay. yep. If we have any books that we deem unnecessary, you have to get rid of them. And if you don't, or if you want them to be kept, you have to go through a certified librarian, whatever the fuck that means. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, that took up more time. Than I actually. know it's twenty minutes on those two news stories. I hate her. She's a fucking cunt. Yeah. Like legitimately, just a fucking cunt. All right. Surprise topics. What does mine say, Eric? I I know you already know, but like, what? Read that. Uh, uh, what language is that? Uh, Hail Stalin! It's Russian. I don't know. Yeah, it is Russian. So I titled mine "Headshot," but in Russian, so Eric couldn't understand what it meant. So a notorious Russian army captain and mercenary, Igor Mangushev, 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 has died in a hospital. Uh, days after he was shot in the head at close range in occupied Ukraine. Mangushev was an extreme nationalist who said Russia was not at war with people, but the idea of Ukraine as an anti-Russian hate state, or <laughs> an anti-Russian state, and it did not matter how many Ukrainians died. In 2014, he emu- emerged from a neo-Nazi group that, to co-found a private mercenary group named Yanot, which apparently means raccoon. I don't know. Uh, who fought Ukrainians in 2014. He also dabbled as a political strategist for Russia's most notorious mercenary boss, uh, Evgeny Prigozhin. Last summer, he went on stage holding a human skull, which he was filmed saying the skull belonged to a Ukrainian fighter killed defending the Azovstal steel works in the southern part of Maripol. The shooting happened at a checkpoint in occupied Ukraine town of Katazvka. Yeah, yeah, it's it's rough names. Some distance from the front line. So happened while out of the front line. The shooting has prompted widespread speculation about who might have carried out the attack so much that another extreme Russian nationalist, Pavel Gubarev, said everyone knew who was behind the shooting and observed that Prigozhin had, for the moment, gone quiet, inferring that it was the guy's old boss. Oh. The 11-month war in Ukraine has energized the murky world of extremists in Russia and sparked rivalries between them. Uh, Russian expert Mark Gilotti said after the attack, it demonstrated that Russia was sliding back towards aspects of the 1990s, quote, when murder was a business tactic and the lines between politics, business, crime, and war became near meaningless. 
I would argue that even in the Russian Federation, that shit never went away. I would agree. Just because, Especially with Putin. Well, just because it's run by oligarchs. I mean, a, a typical tactic of an oligarch who wants to retain their power is you kill your political enemies or anyone that you don't like. So, I mean, this guy sounds like a fucking sociopath. Well, he's dead now. So he's dead. Kudos to whoever Ukrainian did it. <laughs> I mean, kudos to any Ukrainian right now just no living shit. their fucking life. Um, my story is not nearly as serious as that. Oh. I don't think, unless you don't like... Uh, what the story is about. I called it shit hit the critic. Okay. You know, shit hit the fan. Yeah. Except shit hit the critic. Nice. So a German newspaper critic had animal feces smeared on her face in the city of Hanover by a ballet director who apparently took offense at a review that she wrote. So a little, a little less serious. The daily Frankfurter, uh, Algemen Zutung reported that a furious, Gocek uh, approached its dance critic. Oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> Weebke Hooster during the in- interval of a... German pre- name one, pre- German name two. In <laughs> a premiere of Hanover's Opera House on Saturday and asked what she was doing there. The newspaper said that Gocek, uh, who apparently f- felt provoked by a recent hag threatened to ban her from the ballet and accused her of being responsible for people canceling their season tickets and Hanover. He then pulled out a paper bag with animal feces and smeared her face with the contents before making off through a packet theater foyer, the newspaper said. Uh, Huster identified the substance as dog feces and said she had uh, filed a criminal complaint. How was she able to identify that? By taste. I don't know. That I, That's my question. I, I have no idea. Uh, Gokiek, whatever, said that <laughs> while having his work soiled for years was a price that he had been told he had to pay for being in the public eye, there was a limit. So that's his reasoning for why smearing shit in her face. Uh, the Hanover State Opera House apologized for the incident and said on Monday that it was suspecting or suspending the ballet director uh, with immediate effect, and he has to do a very big apology or something to her. But he probably won't have a job after this, I don't oh, think. No. Dude can't handle criticism. No. At least it wasn't his own. Like, can you imagine if he shit in a bag <laughs> and then smeared it on her face? Both are bad. One's just worse, I think. <laughs> Human shit. You know, that's a different type of shit. Oh, God. All right. Entertainment stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, we're already running late, so fuck it. I saw a knock at the cabin on Friday. Have not even heard of it. The new M. Night Shyamalan movie mm. with Rupert Grant and Dave Bautista. Don't think I've heard of it. No. Okay. Well, it's good. The premise of it is you have these four people. Dave Bautista and Rupert Grimm being two of those people who show up to this cabin and they give this family of three, two gay guys and an adopted daughter. They give them the ultimatum. We need you to make a choice between who dies. You have to choose, but that person cannot kill themselves. The other person has to, if you don't, it's going to bring on the apocalypse. Oh, and they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. And shit kept happening. And, 
Honestly, like going into it, I wanted to see it. It looked really good. I think M. Night Shyamalan, he had a stretch of really weird movies that weren't good. But uh, I would say anything from 2007 to present. Honestly, his his movie Old, I thought was good. And then this one, it looked good, and I was not disappointed. Um, I thought there might have been like some overacting, but then like if you really look at it and think about it, I probably would have reacted some of the same way. Um, there were some cliche aspects like there is with like all movies, obviously, but it, it was good. Um, I don't like Dave Bautista as an actor. I don't think he's very diverse in acting. I think he's just there. Like, you know how some actors, you just get lost in their acting. Dave Bautista, yeah. he just looks like Dave Bautista, but this one, he just looks like Dave Bautista with weird glasses and is acting softer. Okay. So that wasn't my favorite part of the movie, but the movie was good. I I would recommend it. All right. I will have to try to remember to watch it since I've never heard of it before. That's good. And then you can see this. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I've seen commercials for this. So do you want to see Cocaine Bear? I do want to see Cocaine Bear. I I do, but I don't. Just because I know it's going to (laughs) be so absurd. It's like a movie that's on Amazon called Velocipaster. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Where I I know it's going to be bad. And I have met a coworker who has watched it, and he says it is just as bad as you think, but it's bad in a good way. It's kind of like Zombievers. Have you ever heard, seen that one or heard of that one? No. Where it's just, you know it's going to be bad. But it's entertaining to watch because it's fucking dumb. Well, apparently Cocaine Bear is based off a true story, so. A bear that gets into cocaine? Yeah, yeah I've heard that there was a story of a, a bear that... Uh, either ingested or had somehow gotten a lot of cocaine in its system. So I know this is, you know, obviously Hollywood fight up. Well, anytime you see commercials for it, it it is like spoofed up, right? It's supposed to be made like a, a a joke, but I don't know. Like I want to see it because like it's, it's called cocaine bear. And the the idea of it is so fucking ridiculous, but I know it's going to be terrible. Yeah. I'm totally willing to watch it. I love (laughs) watching horrible movies. Okay. All right, we'll jump into bad movie plot guesses. Um, I do have a theme. It, I will say, it's not going to be an easy theme. So, oh. I think after the first two, you might be able to connect the dots. Okay. If not, I'll just tell you at the end. Just to be, you know, reference here. I was nice to you last week. Okay, I'll give you a hint then. The, <laughs> the theme is a director. Okay. Um, so first one: a boy sees his father get killed by somebody with a glass eye. Because he was an immigrant, the kid grows up in foster care, and once on his own, he goes back, befriends the guy who killed his father, and then kills him. Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. Okay, so it's Martin Scorsese. Yes, it is. Okay. Second one. Boston cop goes undercover to stop a mob boss. It's the departed. It is. Yep, that's The rest of it, uh, to uncover the mob boss that has a mole inside, the police department tries to... Take the mole in, get shot in the in the Dude, the departed storyline is so good. It of is like so there's good. there's a rat within the mob, but then there's a rat within the police, and they're trying to find each other. Yep. It's so good. Oh my like, god. I love that storyline. It's a great movie. Yep. All right. And then based on a true story, guy runs a casino for a mob boss. The guy <laughs> the mob sends to protect him starts fucking up by constantly breaking the law and bringing attention to the casino. Casino. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one too. Yeah. I like that one a lot. And I was, I was, I looked at Martin Scorsese movies and I'm like, all right, let's see. 
and it was a lot of uh, Robert De Niro, and then a lot of Joe Pesci. Well, yeah, but Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, it's like once De Niro got old, it's like you gotta go younger. <laughs> I guess it's like Leonardo whenever he gets his girlfriend's age like twenty five, gotta go younger. Mm-hmm. Social events? Yes. Got three again. I mean, there's always more, but these are the three I picked, so fucking deal with it. Uh, You have Winterfest in Cedarburg, Wisconsin, February 18th through the 19th. Uh, This festival just north of Milwaukee features barrel and bed races, ice carving, camel rides, a dog weight pole competition, an egg hunt for kids, and a parade at 1 p.m. on Saturday. What camel is out in the winter? Uh, What camel is in the Midwest? Right. (laughs) Well, I've seen one in the Midwest. It's at a petting zoo, though. Yeah. Uh, then we have Color of the Wind Kite Festival in Clear Lake, Iowa on February 18th. Pre-warning, this one does not sound great, but it's in Iowa, so I put it on there. Hmm. Uh, this town just north central Iowa draws kites from eight states for its festival, the largest of, in the Midwest. The stunt flyers will perform routines choreographed to music. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Go stand out in the cold and watch kites. Yeah, no. Uh, Northwoods Blizzard Blast in Conover, Wisconsin, February 18th. On the snowy northeast ridge of Wisconsin, go on horse-drawn sleigh rides and see such events as recliner racing, Hmm. ice bowling, dog sled dashing, snowshoe baseball, and snow sculpting. Okay. Sounds pretty good to me. More Midwest. Dumb shit. Dumb shit, yeah. Unpopular opinions. Uh, I'll start with mine. I think last year's Super Bowl halftime performance was probably the best that we'll have in a long time. Not to say we shouldn't have them, but it's just every single one's going to be a disappointment to me. I think I could agree with that. Honestly, Rihanna was good. She sounded fantastic. Nothing against Rihanna. I wish she would have sang more instead of doing lip syncing and just having a bunch of uh, remix playing over in the stereo system. The concept was cool with the colors and the dancing, the chore- uh, the choreography. Choreography the, was good. The platforms suspended up in the air was really cool. Um, nothing against her at all. I just don't think it was as good as last year. I and agree. I think it's going to be really hard to beat last year's Super Bowl performance. I mean, the two that I can think of that are like, holy shit, those were fantastic, was Prince in 2007 when he played in the rain and he fucking shredded it in that one. And then last year's, those are like my two favorite Super Bowl performances. I do not know. Well, fuck you're forgetting about left shark. Yeah. Fucking Katy Perry's left shark. No, that's one of the worst left shark. It goes one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst. Honestly, Lady Gaga's was good. No, nah, I didn't think hers was good. I like Lady Gaga's. The weekend was not good. It, the weekends a few years back was not the best. No, it was not good. <laughs> So I think it's just going to be really hard. Last year's was just uh, fucking lightning in a bottle. Worked really, really well. Yeah, you had five legends come out. Yeah. Five? Yeah. Call him 57 legend? Yes. Mm -hmm. He is a legend. I don't want to say he's a legend. Dude was hanging upside down, mumbling his words. I know he has a bullet in his tongue, but... (laughs) He also had uh, eight in his back. Yeah, but whatever. Legend. Yours. Yeah. So mine's weddings are completely fucking overrated. Absolutely overrated. Okay. Like just like having a wedding as opposed to just like eloping or what? Yeah. So fucking stupid. The amount of money you spend for a day 
to celebrate a piece of paper to say that you are now married to a person. Yeah. I mean, how fucking ridiculous is it that you have a woman spend five figures on a dress? You're spending... doesn't have to be five figures. <laughs> thanks. You're spending... <laughs> Five figures on a venue. You're spending four figures on photography. You're probably spending high three figures to four figures on food. Well, you just got to be more economical with this. This is like standard for uh, people. I want to say it's standard. I've been to weddings where they have paid less than 12000 bucks in total. But more than 10000 Probably. Yeah, but if you're saying it's if five figures, I am for this, spending $10,000 for one fucking day. No. Got credit cards. Still no. <laughs> I would rather spend that $10,000 going somewhere else and doing things than on one day that I can't even see all of the people I invited. Yeah. Unless, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I, I, just, get what you, I get what you mean. Let, let's just do it this way, okay? Let's. Me and my fiance and wife or whatever we're going to be in the future go to the courthouse, get it official for a hundred bucks or whatever the hell it is, and then just throw a big party and that's it. Like I understand the the niceness of having a big ceremony with everyone there and everyone looking nice and cool. I understand the idea of that. Stupid expensive. For no fucking reason. I, I go, I still subscribe to that type of mentality, but just be more economical, don't spend as much, and just kind of right. cut it here or there. So it's a, it's a smaller wedding. You still get to have a reception with a ceremony and at least the people that really, really mean the most to you there. My reasoning, Find a high school DJ. Like <laughs> My reasoning for the overratedness is because of the price. Yeah. I love weddings. I really do. I, I love being... There and seeing people get celebrated and seeing the love being celebrated and just the whole thing of it is is very beautiful and is great. But the the fact that it is expensive as it is, people are literally fucking other people over for happiness. Like it, yeah, it, it makes no sense. It's it's like you do not need seventy thousand dollars to save this space. You don't. That's an exaggeration. It is. But <laughs> hyperbole. You also don't need $10,000 to rent a space. Well, yeah. I mean, I officiated a wedding this past fall. It was for uh, one of my girlfriend's sisters. And it was literally just they need they wanted to have a ceremony, but it was like me, the officiant, uh, and seven other people. And then they, they had um, a local barbecue place uh cater food where they just did a bunch of big orders of like trays of uh brisket and pulled pork and rolls and coleslaw and all that and they just picked it up and brought it over to where the actual ceremony was a couple hundred bucks in cool. all in all for me and they got married they had been engaged for a long time but they got married and i was just their officiant the one that certified the marriage and it was nice yeah Personally, I would like to have something a little bit more, but nothing that's going to be like too extravagant to the point where it's like you're spending twenty grand on a fucking wedding. No, I don't like, want to spend ten. 
I don't want to spend 10, but I can at least try to keep it. At least that's the absolute highest fucking cap I will ever go. Right. You have to try to get at least lower. But, you if know. If I have to, I'll have someone take pictures with a fucking iPhone and just send them to me. You could also sell your semen and, like, oh make gosh. money that way. <laughs> like, that's, that is a way of getting money. And I've heard it can get you a decent amount. <laughs> so if you want to do that... Start selling your semen. All right, this day in history for February 13th. We're going to start with the most recent, go back the furthest in time. Uh, starting in 1996, rapper Tupac Shakur releases his fourth studio album, All Eyes on Me. In 1957, Southern Christian Leadership Conference organizes in New Orleans with Martin Luther King Jr. as the president. 1861, President Abraham Lincoln declared the actual president in Washington, D.C., 1633, Italian astronomer Galileo Galilei arrived in Rome with a trial before Inquisition for professing belief that Earth revolves around the sun. So if anyone didn't know this, he was considered a fucking traitor to the church and had to profess that this is what he believes. And he was basically put on house arrest for the rest of his life because he was a brilliant mind. They didn't want to kill him outright, but sad news on that. Famous birthdays. Robbie Williams, the British singer. We have Peter Gabriel, the singer as well. Randy Moss, the former NFL wide receiver. Jerry Springer, TV host slash, if you want to call him a politician, because he used to be a politician. Did you know that? I did not. He was a front runner in the Democratic Party to be governor of Ohio. Then he fucked a hooker. So, (laughs) (laughs) didn't get to be uh, governor. Instead, did the Jerry Springer show. Nice. Equal in... um, Legacy, I guess. Yeah. Coach K, the former basketball coach for Duke. Say it. Krasinski? Krzyzewski. Krzyzewski. Okay, there's a K there. Yeah, there is. So it's a shh sound, I guess. That's weird. Yeah. And then Neil McDonough, the actor. I have a birthday today. That's not Donahue. McDonough. McDonough. Whatever. (laughs) He plays a villain in most things anyway. Uh, Have you ever seen Band of Brothers? Captain America? That's what that, that's what I'm saying. Is like in those two instances, cool. <laughs> but like everything else I've seen him in, Walking Tall, he's a fucking ass. Yeah, he is. He's yeah. a douchebag. All right. Thank you for everyone for listening to this week's episode of the Tension Podcast. Please spread the word and encourage others to listen. You can follow us on Twitter at DetentionPod1, or you can send us an email at DetentionPodcast1 at gmail.com. You can listen to the Detention Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And with that, your detention has been served. We will see you again next week.